to a new episode of the Like a New Day podcast. My name is Zachary Brannigan. I am your host. I am a photographer and nonprofit employee based in Michigan. So uh, this is essentially uh, episode one of season two. And um, I suppose I owe you all a little bit of an explanation. So bear with me for a sec. Um, I'm actually back because of you. I have had a lot of support uh, on private messages on Instagram and emails. You know that I always make my uh, my contact information very public with this podcast, so you can get a hold of me. And um, a couple of things, you know, many of you reached out to me and said that you were missing the podcast and looking forward to episodes and all that. And um, I, I want to come back, especially uh, for that reason. The best part about this has been meeting uh, people from all over the globe, from, uh, you know, India and Sri Lanka and Australia and, uh, you know, all over North America, of course, and uh, England in particular. So uh, it has been wonderful to uh, get to know, um, you know, photographers and, and people who are inspired by the content on this podcast. So great. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is for you. Uh, so thank you very much for sticking with me. Those of you who have been longtime listeners, um, I think this is episode 14 or 15 altogether of the podcast. The first uh, quote unquote season had, I think, 13 episodes or something like that. Um, but before I took a little hiatus, and uh, there's a number of reasons for that, and I should have seen this coming. But first and foremost is the fact that, um, you know, the last episode, I think I published it in January. Well, you know, February, things started to kick up at work. And before you know it, I was fully back into the pandemic recovery mode uh, at the Land Conservancy where I am uh, serving as the executive director at the moment, uh, and for the last 10 years, for that matter. So it's a lot of responsibility. I have, uh, you know, staff and projects and all that. And of course, we were pushed back about a year, like uh, just about everybody else. So the pandemic uh, put the Conservancy's work back a, a full season. And of course, fundraising and events, all sorts of things uh, really suffered as a result. And uh, I have a huge responsibility to the organization and to my coworkers and to my friends and family uh, here in our small community in, uh, in Michigan. So uh, I really did need to throw myself fully into that. And you know how it goes, you know, you kind of go down, you know, one uh, road and and you start uh, putting all your time and attention into into something uh, like like work or, or in my case both my passion and my work which is conservation and the environment and um, other things just kind of suffer and you know by the time it had taken two weeks three weeks four weeks before I had been back to uh, recording uh, at that point you know you kind of the ship has sailed and you're uh, you're the flame is gone. And also, honestly, um, my flame for photography really suffered a little bit, and I'll probably talk a little bit about that, but it's been difficult because I often attach my self-worth to my photography, and um, my photography has not been great. It has suffered uh, as a result of uh, just, you know, kind of setting it aside, and, and I can certainly compose a decent picture, and, uh, you know, I remember all the technical things, but eventually, I don't know how you guys feel, you know, send me a message and let me know what you think, but the, the pandemic gave us a lot of new things to shoot, but it was so long and, and isolation was so long that I got pretty bored with photography and I struggled. I tried to do, you know, studio photography. I tried to do product photography. I tried to do anything I could. I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many walks I took, uh, with my Q2 to try to take pictures. And uh, after a while, it just got uninspired. Um, you know, I am a photographer that thrives on, uh, excuse me, new experiences and travel. And, uh, many of you know that, um, so to be unable to do so uh, was um, very difficult, and it made me kind of lose interest a little bit in uh, in the camera, um, at least in the uh, the big guy, the SL2, and all that jazz. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Today's episode is going to be about uh, about gear deacquisition syndrome and my recent disappointments with some uh, photography uh, work that I've done. Um, but I've got some good news too, and I've got some other stuff I want to talk about. So yeah, so let's consider this the uh, the first episode of season two. Um, the Like a New Day podcast is back. I've got some new things to talk to you about. I've got some new friends in photography to talk to you about. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be good. I want to share, I can't promise you anything. I can't promise you that I'm going to be cranking out an episode every week or every two weeks or anything like that. I I'm just, I'm not going to do that. I want this to be fun. I want it to be enjoyable. I want to continue to share with you. I'm going to go very basic on this. It's going to be mostly straight out of camera. It's just going to be me talking. Um, (laughs) ironically, the episodes I put the most effort into, which would be the heavily edited, uh, episodes, and the heavily researched ones tend to be the ones that don't actually get as much response as the ones where I kind of speak from the heart and I just uh, flick on the microphone and I just start talking, which is great for me because those are the easiest ones to publish. Uh, I don't really need to edit them um, or actually I just choose not to edit them. You have to suffer through my hymns and haws a little bit, but hey, you know what you're getting? You are getting the... uh, the, the honest reflections of somebody who might have a lot of the same feelings as you, uh, somebody who uh, deeply, deeply cares about photography, deeply cares about Leica cameras in particular, and our, the, the, the whole experience of shooting Leica. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just, uh, I want to continue to share that with you. So many of you have said that the message that I put out has resonated with you, and I think we need to keep doing it. So I'm not going to let this thing die. Although, like I said, I don't know where exactly it's going to take us. I don't know how many interviews I'm going to do. The interviews have gone well. I've enjoyed the interviews. I got to talk to Justin Mott and Ben Horn, and uh, I do have uh, uh, I have an interview in the can that never made it uh, into season one that's going to make it into early season two here. Um, that's going to be great, and uh, maybe a couple more lined up. But I think the interviews will be every two or three episodes and not every episode. Some of them are just going to be like this, me flicking on uh, a, a microphone and talking. But I am going to need your help. So I want to task you, the listener, with a couple things. First of all, I want you to keep listening and I want you to share this podcast if you can. Uh, Tell your friends uh, that are in the Like a World that the Like a New Day podcast is back. Hopefully they will enjoy it. They can start listening to the back catalog, but I would like to keep it growing so we can get more people interested in, uh, in the message that we're putting out there and try to form a community, which has been great. Um, also, I would encourage you to please uh, email me at zgbrandigan at gmail.com. That's Z-G-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N at gmail.com. For a while there, the, the volume of messages that I got was a little overwhelming. And that, uh, to be fair, um, and actually to be completely transparent with you, that was one of the things that uh, when I was kind of feeling maybe suffering from a little bit of... Um, you know, just sort of a low spot. Uh, We've talked a lot about that on this uh, podcast, a little bit of uh, a low moment for me. Um, You don't always necessarily feel like talking to lots of people. So sometimes the podcast format is great because honestly, right now I'm sitting in my little office here by myself with the door shut, uh, talking into a machine um, so I can get some things off my chest. And I know that you're there listening, but you're not here right now listening. So it's really just me spouting off. Um, I am not a very good typist, and actually I broke my uh, left finger, left forefinger uh, recently, so typing is, uh, I don't know, it's been worse than ever. I'm a terrible typist. Uh, in fact, the intern uh, that works for me was making fun of me uh, and my typing the other day, and, um, you know, cut a little short, cut a little quick, uh, but she's right. Uh, I'm a terrible typist, so the... Um, the fact is uh, that it's difficult for me to write long emails. And it, some of your emails have been awesome. I mean, some of you folks have sent me just incredible long messages detailing, you know, your own personal struggles or your own journey uh, with Leica or your photographic journey. Or you've asked me for advice on things like, uh, you know, semi-professional photography, or you've wanted to know more about some of the, the exhibit work that I've done or, or things like that. A lot of things have happened uh, in that space too, by the way, uh, which we can talk about a little bit. Uh, in this episode. Um, so anyway, you guys write me these long messages. It's wonderful. Sometimes the volume was a lot. I was getting three and four, five, six, seven a day uh, here and there right after a new episode would come out. And um, it's difficult for me to write back everybody. You know, I promise you, I read them. I read all of them. If I don't write you back right away, please don't take it personally. Like I definitely want to write you back. It's just a matter of being a family guy and a dad. And, um, you know, I run a nonprofit. My wife also runs a nonprofit and it's a family business. Also, I'm uh, tight with my friends and family here and I'm trying to shoot myself and I'm trying to record this podcast. So it's, uh, it's not always possible for me to get back to everybody. So if you write me and I don't write you back, don't be discouraged. I've definitely read it and I will try to send you a message back. Or if I do send you a message back and it's short, don't take that personally either. Um, you know, it's just uh, the reality of it. Uh, that's that's all I'm able to do. So uh, yeah, we're going to take a little quick break here, and I'm going to transition into um, the next uh, area of the podcast, which we're going to talk a little bit about gear. It's going to be great.
Okay. Gear Corner. Let's talk a little bit about gear. First of all, uh, new gear announcements. Well, like I came out with the Black Paint M10R, so that's pretty cool. I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks like an M10 monochrome, but it's painted uh, with that cool vintage enamel paint. So that's going to brass really well if you use the heck out of it. Although my uh, suspicion is that very few uh, black paint M10Rs are going to go into regular circulation uh, by actual photographers. And unfortunately, most of them are probably, uh, excuse me, most of them are probably going to sit on the shelf. Um, I wish they would get used because uh, wouldn't it be cool to find a used M10R in about three or four years that was like really brassed all the way around it with uh, exposed brass on all the corners? That would be rad. Um, I wonder how many, you know, uh, of the limited edition M10s actually get used. I am obsessed with the uh, M10P Safari edition, which is the olive green uh, one, kind of the army green one. Um, I'm obsessed with those. I, I absolutely love them. And uh, I, maybe it's just because like I, I have an outdoor job and I like to travel and all that. And for some reason that even though it's the same as the regular M10P, it just kind of uh, gives you that vibe, that outdoor vibe that sometimes like the street photographer vibe doesn't really jive with the, you know, going hiking vibe, which is bullshit. I mean, really, it's stupid, you know, I mean, but at the, the, at the same time, I will say that, you know, when I go hiking in the woods, I don't see a lot of people carrying, uh, you know, I carry an M10s, uh, especially in the kind of retro silver and black uh, colorway. Um, you know, you don't you don't see that too often. Not to say that I see a lot of people carrying Safari Green Edition M10 uh, Ps, but um, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll be the first. Stay tuned. Um, but. Yeah. Anyway, uh, black paint M10R, very cool. Uh, I think they're going to be scarce. Looks like pre-orders are going uh, crazy on that. And um, yeah, some neat lens announcements and all that. So I don't know, like trying to keep it fresh. I wonder when we're going to get an M11, probably in another two years, maybe Uh, another year and a half. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? I've also been uh, spending a lot of time obsessing over the Q2 monochrome and uh, well, and the M10 monochrome and uh, frankly, the M10R and I don't know, the SL2S, I don't know, what else? <laughs> uh, there aren't too many Leica products that I'm not that excited about, but um, at any rate, so that's it. I will say that there seems to be a scarcity of gear right now. I mean, just about everything is sold out. If you look online at, uh, at you know, the big sellers like B&H and even a lot of the uh, the Leica boutiques on their website, you know, their inventory is not great. Um, you know, and of course there was a price hike earlier this year due to a variety of different reasons, I suppose, um, you know, scarcity and the changing times and materials and also the tariff situation. Um, so I know that um, a lot of our same beloved lenses are also now made in Portugal or at least final assemblies in Portugal. And uh, that uh, those are like $500 less. So at least that's a cool option. I wonder if those Portuguese lenses will hold their value the way that the German made ones will. Uh, at least from a shooter's perspective, everything I've read and seen is that you will never be able to tell the difference. There is absolutely no difference. So I would not fear if you're buying uh, a Sumacron or, uh, you know, any M lens uh, for the purpose of actually shooting it, I would say to hell with it, go ahead and get the Portuguese one, unless you can find a used one, uh, which would be even better. Speaking of lenses, um, you know, I put the, uh, Sigma, um, you know, I don't know, forgive me, forgive me like a father's I've sinned. Um, I think I've mentioned this before that I shoot a lot of Sigma lenses uh, for the SL2, the L-mount system. We also have a Panasonic S5 at work, which is why, um, you know, I can have a, a, you know, circulation of these L-mount lenses. But the, um, if you are on the fence about the newer uh, made in Japan contemporary, um, the new, uh, I don't know what the line is. Oh, the I-Series, I think they're called. The I-Series lenses, they got the magnetic cap, and they look really retro. They've got a focus ring, and they've got an aperture ring, and they're small. There's a, uh, a 24, a 35, a 45, and a 65. I have the 35, 45, and 65, um, and they're about $600 each. They're excellent. They're really good on the SL2. So if you are concerned, I mean, the build quality is excellent. I would say that the finish of these, you know, it's like an anodized black coated aluminum. Very, very similar to the body on the SL2 and extremely similar to what you expect on uh, any uh, of the black M lenses. Not the painted ones, you know, just the the regular black anodized finish that's on most uh, Leica products. Uh, And like the body on the Q2, things like that. But very, very nice. There's a little bit of plastic on it. The switches are plastic, you know, the caps are plastic. Um, Although I will say that the magnetic cap thing is a, it's like, I thought it was a gimmick, but I actually like it. You can... You can hear it right there, how it snaps back in. Um, I dig it. And they got metal lens hoods. Uh, the image quality is solid, especially at that price. Um, I mean, you're basically paying, 
you know, one tenth of what you're going to pay for a Sumicron SL, which is, uh, of course, a beautiful, 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 amazing lens. Um, however, this is like a third the weight, half the size, and one tenth the cost. And um, unlike the SL lenses, which have no buttons or dials or anything on them, these actually have a uh, an AF MF switch. And they have a uh, very, very nice aperture ring with uh, clicks. Listen. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, but it's lovely, actually. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very lovely to use. And then the uh, after F22, you can snap it over into auto. And then um, you can control aperture with your thumb wheel, for instance, on an SL2 or, or on a Panasonic S1H or whatever you're using. So yeah, uh, I highly recommend these contemporary eye lenses, uh, especially because if one of these gets smashed, you're out $500 instead of $5,000. Um, but the image quality is really good. And honestly, I would say, other than the fact that um, as far as I can tell, there's no red dot on these. Uh, aside from that, boy, I, I, I tell you what, I wish Leica made these lenses. Could you imagine if Leica made small, clickable, you know, with a, with a clicky, uh, clicky aperture ring, but autofocus capable, you know, M style lens for the SL mount. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're getting here. So I don't think they have to, um, but who knows? Because uh, the other thing that came out since the last time we talked is the SL 24 to 70 uh, F 2.8, which comes in like at $2,500 or something or $3,000. And um, the whispers are that that is essentially, I mean, it's made in Japan. That's no secret. It says made in Japan right on the lens. But the, um, the, you know, the, the whispers are that it is essentially the um, Sigma art 24 to 70 in a new chassis in a Leica chassis. So it looks like a Leica SL lens. I mean, it is a Leica SL lens. It just doesn't happen to be made in Germany. Uh, it's made in Japan. Uh, and very likely it's made in Japan under license with uh, Sigma who makes L mount lenses, uh, in the L mount Alliance. So there's nothing wrong with that. I will tell you like for, uh, at work, we have the 24 to 70, uh, S or the L mount, uh, 24 to 70, uh, Sigma art lens, which comes in at like, I, this is how poor my research is $1,100 or maybe $1,400, but either way, it is a killer lens. I mean, it is really good. And, um, it's, it's heavy, like any 24 to 70, um, uh, for full frame, like we'd see from any of the manufacturers, but at, at F2.8 anyway, there are some cool F4s out there, but, um, it's gorgeous. It's, it's very, very nice. So yeah, that, uh, that Elmeret, um, you know, 24 to 70 to eight, uh, pick it up. You know, if you're, if you want to have the like a look and chassis and all that in terms of the, the structure of it, but, uh, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure that the glass in there is the same as the, uh, as the contemporary, but, um, man, the Sigma are not contemporary art, the Sigma art lenses, the Sigma art lenses are beautiful. I mean, they really do an excellent job and they're, they're hardly weather sealed. I, one of those in a, like a, like a chassis. I mean, that's a, that's a great lens. Um, you'd have a, a hell of a heavy piece of camera gear with your SL2 and one of those on there. I can tell you from having the Sigma 24 to 728 on the SL2, it is a boat anchor. It is a big, heavy piece of equipment for sure. But, um, but it's great. It's great for work. It's great for my professional stuff, uh, at work. Um, I wouldn't say that it is, it does not inspire me as a walk around camera, you know, or, or just a daily camera, not the way that M cameras and uh, Q, uh, Q cameras do. But um, I will say that it is a workhorse and it is indestructible uh, and it's it's pretty solid. So anyway, yeah, Sigma Lens is doing fine. I've talked about Sigma Lens before, but I particularly want to talk about that I-Series Contemporaries because those are really, really good. Um, yeah, uh, reader comments. I've gotten a lot here. Um, it's great. I just want to give a shout out to a handful of you. I mean, Chris Broadbent is always writing me nice, inspiring messages. Uh, he just checked up on me, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Hey, how you doing? Haven't seen or heard from you in a while. I hope you're okay, buddy. I'll be out with the camera today, inspired by you, um, which I thought was really sweet. And, um, you know, he was looking at some of my back catalog of images, which is very flattering, very cool. And uh, Jason Weber, uh, who is a YouTuber that... Um, I don't know, maybe he and I have something in common. He started a really cool YouTube series where he was traveling with a uh, built-up uh, Toyota, which I've also got a built-up Toyota, and he was towing a little um, uh, Taxa Tiger Moth camper, and uh, he was wielding a Q2, and he was going on a, like a cross-country photo trip and living out of his uh, out of his trailer. I think he got a little homesick, and he ended up uh, heading back to New York because he had an episode where he was kind of making his way across the United States and doing stuff, and then all of a sudden it just kind of ended. So I reached out to him on Instagram, and I said, hey, man, you know, maybe we have something 
something in common. I'd be interested in hearing about your uh, your Q2 stuff, and maybe we could talk. And uh, he wrote me back, and he says, hey, man, I listened to the Ben Horn podcast for a bit earlier today. One of my favorite YouTubers, and I really dig the podcast. And then uh, he's been a, um, a big like a shooter for a few years now, and we'd have plenty to chat about. So might be somebody I uh, reach out to. So Jason Weber, it's uh, Jason A. Weber. W-E-B-B-E-R on Instagram. So check him out. And uh, if you haven't, check out his, uh, check out his YouTube channel because it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, pretty good stuff. Let's see here. Who else are we talking to? Uh, Daniel Jones. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dan. Uh, Daniel. Um, dear Zach, I've discovered your podcast. I'm loving it so far. Thanks for that. Also, if you're looking for more interviews, you should reach out to Ray DiPietro. He's a huge like enthusiast and an avid photojournalist, a good friend in Nashville, Tennessee. I love your podcast so far. I look forward to more episodes. Duly noted, Daniel. Um, you know, when we kind of get back into the swing of things here, maybe I will um, I'll send a message uh, out there and see. Uh, let's see. Looking down here. Uh, David Bickley, uh, my good buddy. I've talked a lot about David Bickley. Uh, David is from uh, Leica DC Boutique, and he's a Leica ambassador and professional, um, you know, excellent professional photographer. He actually had me on as a guest uh, in an internal Leica DC class that they were doing. Uh, I was on Zoom, of course, uh, during the pandemic, but it was really cool. I was sort of the uh, guest star for an episode, and I talked a little bit about my story and what I'm up to, and then uh, they asked questions, and he, uh, David, gave them some assignments. I mean, that was a, that was a big, cool thing to do, so shout out to David and uh, the guys at like a DC. Um, also I have been, uh, talking to, uh, Josh at, uh, like a Miami. Um, first of all, let me give a shout out to like a Miami. If you guys have not, uh, checked out like a Miami's content on YouTube, you need to do yourself a favor and do so. Um, Josh and a guy named David, I believe it's David. Um, they do these videos called, um, uh, the Red Dot Forum, and they do a great job. They're long. They, some of these are like two hours, but they basically they're done live, and people send in questions, and they'll have an episode that'll be just about like a 35-millimeter M-mount lenses throughout history, and they will accumulate uh, every 35-millimeter lens they can and put them all out on the table, and they go through them, and they talk about them, and you learn so much on there. Um, you know, Josh is a, um, genius, you know, this guy, I can't believe, I mean, they both are, but Josh seems to be, um, I don't know. He's forgotten more about Leica than pretty much anybody I've ever met, uh, you know, knows about anything. So, uh, it has been great. I had a few questions about some things they had online and we'll see where that goes. But, uh, they, I was talking, uh, he responded and we, uh, talked back and forth. And so, uh, through a series of emails and phone conversations. That's been kind of cool. It's, it's really interesting to me. Like I can't, there are no like, you know, um, Sony stores or Canon stores or Nikon specific stores anywhere near me uh, or that I know of like factory stores where these people have like Josh has worked for like a Miami, I believe for 10 years, it says on his Instagram. So, I mean, that's as long as I've been the director of the land conservancy. So you talk about somebody who knows their product and is passionate about their product. Um, so anyway, shout out to Josh. Josh, thanks very much um, for your help um, this this past week here. Um, anyway, maybe I'll have more news about that in the next episode, but not right now. Still keeping some of that stuff. Uh, well, it's kind of in flux. Anyway, um, but that sort of does lead me into uh, a couple of things. I have been, uh, as I had mentioned, kind of... <sighs> a little disenfranchised with photography. My pictures uh, were not doing anything for me. Um, I did live off the legacy this year of last year's photos and the year before that's photos a little bit. I had another, I had a um, opportunity to exhibit some photos at a gallery here in mid Michigan for a, uh, a show of artists. I was the only photographer um, and there were several painters and there was a guy that did sculpture and a guy that does found object stuff. And anyway, a variety of different artists uh, all centered on environmental work. And so I ended up doing an exhibit of photos uh, centered on uh, the recovery from um, well, I don't know. Maybe we could have a whole episode about this sometime and I could talk about it, but I recently published a self-published book called, uh, where do I sign up? And it's all about uh, volunteer action and intervention on behalf of the environment in, um, Saginaw, Michigan in particular, but all over mid Michigan here where we're a little bit of a rust belt community and, um, a community that has had some struggles, uh, maybe even 
significantly more than others as a result of the pandemic and also due to, you know, historic redlining and other uh, issues uh, over the last 50 or 100 years uh, in our area. And so um, the Land Conservancy that I work for, we do a lot of things with vacant land remediation. So where there are huge surpluses of vacant land where it might be overgrown, lots of illegal dumping, um, things like that. We clean it up. We, we plant flowers. We plant trees. You know, we activate volunteers and we uh, intervene uh, at the intersection of people and nature, which is part of our mission statement. And we try to elevate that landscape for the benefit of everybody by showing leaders. Uh, in that conservation space. So um, that's that's kind of a little paraphrase of our mission statement, but um, I've got a lot of photography from that. So I have um, studied documentary photography and have some experience. And I have, for the last five or six years, been taking pictures of our work. Um, last year, of course, that ground to a halt for most of the year, um, but this year it picked back up. Anyway, this uh, show was supposed to happen last year. It was delayed until this year, and it uh, went from March till May downtown. I had... 13 photos exhibited in this show, one of which was uh, arguably one of my favorite photos that I've taken and definitely one I've gotten the most recognition for, um, at least in uh, in Michigan uh, circles, uh, which is this kind of photo of this pile of trash. But um, anyway, maybe I can put it up on the, uh, maybe I can put it in my Instagram stories or something like that. Um, yeah, I suppose I should do an Instagram story. That's what I'll do. I'll put an Instagram story up in the next few days after I publish this of uh, photos uh, from that exhibit, and I'll, I'll annotate them or something, so that'd be cool. I started using a program called Later for doing uh, Instagram, so I've also took a pretty big hiatus from Instagram. Um, so I started scheduling posts. So you should, you should start seeing a post a day from me uh, at least four or five days a week, probably, I'm guessing, and uh, maybe more common Instagram stories. But I have to take more pictures in order to do that, and I haven't been taking a lot of pictures. Uh, so that's, that's one of the things I want to do. Right now, um, so yeah, I had this show. That was good. I was feeling good, but there was no new photography in it, and I... Um, I just wasn't taking many photos. I didn't have many subjects to shoot and uh, I'd only, you know, shot 10 million photos of my wife and son and my dog. Um, and after a while you're kind of like, all right, you know, this is like, okay, I got a very expensive camera here that I'm taking pictures of my dog uh, with like very good pictures of my dog. If I'm, you know, if I'm being frank, but, um, pictures that didn't necessarily need to come into the world. So, Imagine my delight uh, when finally a long planned trip came about and my wife and my son and I took a 13 day trip uh, out west and we um, boondock camped and we, you know, did a bunch of off-roading in the desert and I have a Toyota 4Runner uh, off-road that's kind of tricked out with, a, you know, a few things and it's got a rooftop tent and all that. So we we can be pretty mobile. We can get into pretty remote areas, get into a lot of trouble out there and uh, we had a great time. And, uh, I brought every piece of cam equipment that I own. Um, and I had half the back of the truck loaded up with camera equipment and, uh, it was a wonderful trip, uh, from every perspective, except for photography. When I got back, I realized that I took most of my pictures, the same place that every other, um, you know, tourist takes their pictures, which is that view. And I came back with a bunch of pictures I could have taken with my iPhone. I mean, they were like, you know, well-crafted photos of those viewpoints overlooking, you know, canyon lands or arches or, uh, you know, the Rim Rocker Trail. We also did sections of the Rim Rocker Trail. So, you know, some really neat and interesting things, but like the pictures were just kind of flat. They just were not that interesting. I had hardly any pictures of more in Leo, my, my son and wife, cause I was so fixated on like landscape pictures. Well, I am not a landscape photographer. Let's just put that out there. I am no Ben Horn or, you know, or Tom Heaton or Nick Carver or any of those guys. I am not a, I don't even necessarily enjoy landscape photography. Um, I really enjoy like things close up. I like intimate photography. One of the things we've talked about a lot on here is uh, interpersonal connection with photography. That's the stuff I like and I love and I enjoy. And uh, I didn't take hardly any of those. So, I mean, I have a Q2. Uh, that would have been a great camera to just have around my neck every time we walked into a store or restaurant or just down the street, do some street photography, you know, maybe cool old signs. We spent a bunch of time, like four days in Moab, Utah, which is one of the coolest towns anywhere. And uh, all my pictures are of, you know, just dusty trails and view sheds in the national park. It's just, uh, and my campsites and stuff. I mean, I shouldn't say it's a complete failure. That's actually what you're seeing on my Instagram right now is about seven or eight photos, you know, that I kind of selected out of maybe a thousand that I took. But um, I realized that like, it just, photography wasn't, I wasn't in it. I was not in it. I just kind of went on autopilot and then I came back and I was disappointed in the pictures. And some of it is that, um, 
you know, I just wasn't that inspired by my, I don't know that this is, this is going to kind of like go into bleed into what I wanted to sort of wrap up with today, which is this concept of gear D acquisition syndrome. Uh, you hear about gear acquisition syndrome all the time. Uh, people joking about how they have uh, camera gas and they want to uh, buy everything under the sun. I have found myself in the exact opposite boat. I have found myself wanting to shed cameras and shed gear. I'm sitting at a desk that's covered in gear right now for both work and for home. I uh, passed off some work equipment to my intern and coworkers and that, and I um, I did get a grant, uh, which is going to allow me to put a very powerful uh, 600 millimeter lens on a Sony a7R4 for wildlife photography for work. So I'm going to have a super high res camera with a big, uh, big lens with a lot of reach. So that sort of absolved me from needing to have that myself. Um, so, you know, now that I look at my, at my camera collection, I mean, I've got like, you know, five instant cameras or six instant cameras from my Polaroid deal. And some of those things I've got, um, you know, some great 35 millimeter film cameras. I've got a beautiful, uh, Nikon F3 that was like a late model and it was like a new old stock when I bought it a couple years ago. It's perfect. It's beautiful. And of course I have uh, the Q2 and the SL2 and man, those are amazing cameras, but they, they have never quite struck the, uh, struck the heart chords with me that, uh, is that a term? That's stupid. Whatever the, you all know about my saga with the M10D and the, um, well, and if you don't go back and listen to that episode, there's an episode about my heartbreak, uh, my short lived life with the M10D and I had to do with my vision issues and all that stuff. But I tell you what, so like I'm all over the place this episode, aren't I? I hope you're enjoying this. I just, we're just talking. We're just talking. I guess this has all been built up. Um, when I got rid of the M10D, I did so. I had it a short time. Thank you uh, to David at Leica DC who worked with me and uh, tra- let me trade it back in for an SL2. Um, but it was heartbreaking. I mean, I wanted an M camera forever. I wanted an M10 camera forever. And then the M10D was there and I was like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm going way off the deep end. We're going to get an M10D and we're going to be just like that guy. It's going to be rad. But because I couldn't chimp, um, I couldn't uh, check focus. And I was worried about focus all the time because I have an issue with binocular vision and I'm a left eye shooter. So it was very difficult for me to use a rangefinder, especially with a 50 millimeter. And especially because I tend to shoot everything wide open. So I had a really shallow depth of field right? I was using a 50 millimeter Summicron, um, you know, the new one, not the Apo, but the like regular, you know, every man, the, the every man, $2,500 lens. Um, but the, um, you know, you, even with a 50 millimeter, when you're shooting it wide open at F2, you've got a pretty razor thin depth of field, uh, especially up close. And I was just struggling to get focus and, uh, or, or so I thought I'm going to get to that in a second. So you're struggling with focus and it was just very frustrating. And you know, you have no live view because there is no screen. Honestly, I've thought a lot about it and I'm like, if I had an M10P or an M10 that had a live view on the screen on the back, when you were getting, your eyes are getting tired or you were struggling for focus or you really needed to be critical about focus that live view on the back would have saved my life. And I probably would still have that camera. If I had bought, I'll tell you right now, if I had bought an M10P instead of the M10D, I probably would still have it. And I never would have had the SL2. I never would have gone down that, uh, down that pathway. It's okay. I've had the SL2 about a year now. Um, I've taken, I have 20,000 photos with it. Um, my Q2, I, I, two years now I've had that and, you know, took even more photos with it. So, it's fine. I, I mean, I've made my peace with all that stuff, but boy, I tell you what, it really, it was so tantalizing. You know, I had this like dream M camera and then it was gone, you know, and it was, I was disenfranchised with it, but the, um, the one unique thing about, uh, unique, it's not unique, but the one thing about Leica, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I went into Lightroom recently and I searched all of my photos by camera and I was just looking like, which cameras have photos that I absolutely adore? Like, you know, and there's a couple cameras in there. The Q2, obviously, because I've used it so much. The other one is the uh, Fujifilm uh, X100F. I had an X100F. Some of my favorite pictures I've taken in the last 10 years were taken with that camera while I had it. I had it before the Q2, and I didn't see the point of having that and a Q2. So when I got the Q2, I sold that. Um, But, you know, that was a great camera. You know, basically, we're talking about 
small, discrete rangefinder style cameras, right? That's what I liked. And I liked um, having that intimacy. The reason I like those photos is because they are just right up in, right up in the middle of things. You know, you, you pull out that FX100 or X100F and um, it's, you know, you're right in the middle of the action. Same thing with the Q2 with the 28 mil. I mean, you're right in the middle of the action. I would prefer it at 35, um, but you know, you can, you can crop with all those megapixels. So it's fine. I often, um, you know, kind of gravitated towards shooting with those uh, 35 millimeter frame lines on it. Um, so anyway, you know, I started looking and looking and looking. The thing was, is like, there's about 800 photos in my Lightroom catalog that were taken on the M10D with the Summicron 50, um, uh, when I had it. And I really like those photos. Like they just, they look like they're taken on an M camera. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Like you can tell, I can tell the difference, you know, with my 50 megapixel or 47 megapixel shots with the, the, Q2, which the Q2 does have that very, it has its own look. I mean, it definitely has the like a look, uh, quote unquote. Um, but the, I wish I could explain it, but the, the raw files that came out of the M10D and the sort of, you know, variability with, uh, variability with, with focus and the variability with, um, exposure, uh, not having any ability to chimp or to check your exposure or anything and just shooting like an old film camera. Um, it does, it did introduce a little bit of that photographic serendipity that you get with film. I mean, certainly you're getting a much higher quality image than you are with film. Uh, however, you know, that those little happy accidents of just slightly missed focus or a little bit of motion blur, um, or, or a little bit of over or under exposure or whatever it might be. The, um, they're, the photos are beautiful and the flare, you know, some of the flare I was getting from that lens uh, when you're, just, it wasn't ugly flare. It's like this really pleasing flare. Um, I don't know. I, I should have given it more time. Like, that's the thing is that like, I should have looked at the photos and I should have thought a lot of people think, well, boy, you know, the M cameras, they take uh, some getting used to. Well, you know, I had it for like a week and I was like, well, I can't do this. I'm blind, you know, and I, I, to a degree, yeah, I'm right. Um, you know, I know I was right. I know that I have some physical limitations that make M cameras very difficult for me, but, um, I don't know. I did an experiment and I was like, okay, for the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to shoot the Q2 with my right eye instead of my left eye. And I'm going to use the live view screen on the back when I, if I struggle. So I was sort of simulating an M camera. Now, of course you don't have the rangefinder focusing, but I did do it all in manual focus. So I was taking the pictures, you know, of course I had focus peaking. So you're cheating a little bit. Uh, when you're looking through the viewfinder, you don't have that with, um, you clearly don't have that with, uh, with the M cameras. But that being said, you know, I was trying to, you know, give me a break here. I was shooting with my off eye. So I was shooting with my right eye. And actually I found that it really wasn't that bad other than the fact that I have a hard time closing my left eye. Like I feel kind of like Popeye, like you're like, you know, when you're squinting that left eye, but, um, it was definitely more comfortable to use the rangefinder with your right eye. That is absolutely or to use a viewfinder on a Q2, which is in the same spot as a rangefinder, much more comfortable uh, with your right eye. Also, the um, the focusing was not that bad. And honestly, I would just bounce back a little bit and look at the screen to do, uh, you know, for my focus peaking there if I needed to, which is very similar to what you can do with that LV button on an M camera. So then that's where I came to the conclusion that said, boy, Zach, you num numbskull, you know, what you, you set out on this whole like a mission because you wanted an M camera for the last 20 years. And then you got an M camera and you gave it exactly a week. Now I probably chose the wrong M camera. Somebody with my visual disability probably should not be screwing around, um, exclusively relying on the rangefinder. Now I know I could have gotten a Visiflex. I should have gotten a Visiflex and just used it. I should have gotten the electronic viewfinder and just used it in that hot shoe. And again, that's another way I probably would still have the M10D because I absolutely adored that chassis and the weight of it and just everything about it. I adored it. Um, but you know, it wasn't meant to be, it was fine. I used the SL2 for the past year. It's been excellent. It is technically perfect in almost every single way. Um, which is some of the reason why maybe I don't, uh, I don't want to say I don't love it as a professional camera. I love it as a, the camera you want to shoot with every day. The SL2 does not inspire in me that same emotion that an M camera does. Um, that is not, uh, that's not bullshit. That's just a real thing. You know, I would prefer to be shooting with an M camera. That's what I always wanted to do. I love every aspect of it, as we all know, as we all do. 
um, you know, and, and there we are. So at any rate, um, I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out or what's going to happen, but, um, I have been investigating options and, and looking into things and, and I don't know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure by the time I record the next episode, this will all be done and dusted, but uh, let me know. So, um, I did get one round of a lot of messages from you guys who, who out there made adjustments in how they shoot to go to a rangefinder. Um, if you have done that, please let me know any tips or tricks, uh, send me an email, zgbrannigan at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at zgbrannigan. Uh, you'll see the Like a New Day podcast logo as my little, you know, whatever, avatar um, thumbnail thing. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so I would be interested to, to connect with more of you who maybe have struggled, uh, with, uh, off eye or vision problems, or even just some people just struggle with range finders. Um, so yeah, my, my thing was, is that, you know, if I had shot more, uh, more, more stop down instead of trying to shoot everything fast, I just, I just don't think that like I, use the M10D the way it was intended to be used. I, I left that F2 wide open all the time, fastest shutter speed I could, um, lowest ISO I could, and um, just wanted to get that, like, you know, dreamy, blurry background look. Well, the thing is, is when you're taking pictures of your subjects up close, you actually can get a lot of background blur, even at F5.6, uh, even F8, if your subject is up close. And you're going to have a more depth of field. I also didn't even screw around with zone focusing. Like I just didn't, I just didn't really do it. And I know how to do it. Um, but I don't really know what was going on in my life at the time that I was just like, I would, I so easily gave up on it. Something that had been a dream for a long, long time. And I gave up on it. Um, I don't know. Are you guys bored of this topic yet? We've talked about the camera a lot. I've talked about it in multiple episodes. I've talked about it again here, but I mean, what I'm trying to get at is not so much about the camera. What I'm trying to talk about here is my own personal struggles with loving my cameras, loving photography or not. My Q2 is special because, uh, you know, my parents helped me buy it, um, which was an amazing thing at the time. Um, that was a couple of years ago. And since then I have drugged that camera around the world and I've taken pictures with it and it's been amazing. It owes me nothing. You know, the, the thing is that it, it owes, it owes me nothing. If I ultimately sell or trade that camera in, certainly there'll be a little tear that goes down my face, but I've had that experience now. Do you ever get that? Like a camera you really love, uh, you love everything about it except for maybe using it anymore because it's just like, you know, I've, I've used it so much that you're kind of like, all right, I've, I've taken all the pictures with this camera and, um, I've had that experience, you know, life is too short to, to, to limit my experiences. And, um, I don't know the, um, the thing is there's that and the SL2, um, it's, it's amazing and remarkable. And if I had all the money in the world, um, you know, I would have, I'd have two SL2s loaded up with different, uh, Sumicron primes, uh, from, uh, the, from Wetzlar and I would be using those all the time. However, um, I'm not that guy and I need to make those choices. And honestly, you know, thinking about it, having an SL2 and an A7R4, um, next to each other, you know, don't, uh, you know, cover your ears if you don't like, uh, anything bad to be said about Leica, but you know, the SL2 cannot keep up uh, with those Sony, uh, cameras. I will tell you, uh, especially for things like wildlife and fast moving action, the Sony autofocus is like, it's bonkers and the image quality is great. I mean, their lenses are great and all that kind of stuff. Is it special to use? No, it feels like a, um, honestly to me, the a seven R four feels like a plastic toy camera. It doesn't feel durable. It doesn't feel like any of those things after using the SL two for as long as I have, I will tell you the a seven R four feels like a cheap plastic piece of junk made in China. Um, it's not, you know, it takes wonderful photos and it has incredible, um, it has incredible uh, abilities, you know, and it's 61 megapixels and it's, it's fast and it's, 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 it's amazing. You know, the image quality is incredible. It goes on and on and on, but, um, you know, using it, it's like, there's no romance with using it. It's like, uh, it's, it's like driving a, um, you know, it's like a minivan. It's like super capable, ultra dependable, fits all the kids, cruising speed, no problem, fuel efficient, everything about it's awesome. But I mean, who wants a minivan, right? You know, the, um, and the SL2 is not a minivan. It is, uh, it's beautiful and it's epic in the way you can customize it and how you can use it and how comfortable it is and all that stuff. But it's a giant boat anchor and, um, in terms of weight and, uh, and size and it cannot compete. Um, it just really can't, you know, for fast moving action and stuff. And honestly for work, um, you know, excellent, uh, tracking autofocus for wildlife is really something that's important to me. So, um, there's a little bit of a feeling of redundancy. Like now that the a7R4 is on the scene, will the SL2 
get parked a lot? Would it even be used? Um, you know, really day to day, I won't use it for work anymore. Um, so if I'm not doing that and honestly, I'm providing that camera, you know, for work and work is able to provide me with this great camera, um, in the a7R4 again, the a7R4 feels like a camera you'd use at work. Like it's not even a camera that I'll probably bring home. It'll live at the office. I'll use it for work. If I need a high resolution uh, autofocus camera and I, in the future don't have the SL2, I can fall back on the a7R4 and use it for stuff that we need. Like if I, you know, have a, a quote unquote professional job I need to do and I need all that resolution, uh, that 61 megapixels resolution, well, I'll have an a7R4. So it would be good. Um, I don't have a lot of emotion attached to the SL2. I do have uh, a little bit of heartstrings attached to the Q2. But again, both of those cameras I had experiences with. So what I'm getting at is that there's probably going to be a change here. Um, we're getting very close um, to something, but we will see. And uh, yeah, so if you have been in these boats, if you have stepped into the Leica rangefinder world after a long career of using EVFs or, you know, or you're going from DSLR, I don't know what it is, but um, if you're struggling with being a left eye, right eye shooter, uh, if you're struggling with uh, vision problems or rangefinders, have you used a Visiflex? Do you use live view on an M camera? You know, let me know, please send me a message. Give me some encouragement here. Um, I'm thinking that it might be time for me to shake things up a little bit, and that's actually going to shake up my photography. Now, does gear matter with photography? Hell yeah, it matters. I mean, this is a Leica podcast, so, you know, you can take great photos with your phone, and we've heard all that BS before. I mean, that is all true. Um, but do we? No. We take photos with Leica cameras because we savor the experience. I don't need to tell you guys. If I do, then, um, you know, please uh, go ahead and listen to some more episodes or, you know, dive more deeply into the whole Leica thing. But... The thing with Leicas is that you're not necessarily buying them exclusively for the picture, although they do have their own beautiful rendition and their own beautiful look, especially when you can use their own lenses. That might be another thing that bugs me about the SL2 is that although these contemporary lenses from Sigma are very, very good, they're not Leica lenses. So you're using a, you know, a less expensive aluminum made in Japan uh, lens on this beautiful, huge camera. Um, But at any rate, um, you know, the rendition, the beauty of uh, the Leica image and all that is, is, is one of the reasons we get into it. But the other one is just that we dig the cameras, right? And um, the fleeting moments, I still wake up sweating in the middle of the night sometimes thinking, oh my God, I had an M10D and now I don't. You know, the, uh, I just, every picture I took with it was uh, an experience. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. So maybe if I uh, made a few adjustments, like for instance, if I decided to shoot at f5.6 once in a while, maybe if I didn't have only a 50 millimeter lens for it, um, probably going to go 35 if I go M camera again, you know, give me a little wider angle, which gives me a little more depth of field, maybe 28. I love 28. Although everybody talks about, um, glasses, wearers struggling with 28s on rangefinders. So, you know, your mileage may vary. I'm thinking 35, I'm thinking 35 millimeter Sumicron would be just about perfect. A little bit wider, a little bit more useful than a 50, at least in my experience and opinion. Uh, cause I do like a little bit of context. I do like portraits shot with 35 cause I love environmental portraits. I like to get a little bit of the story, but I also like to get close, especially when I'm taking portraits. Um, 35 is going to allow me to shoot inside F2 would allow me to shoot indoors. Although I am used to image stabilization. I will say the SL2 and Q2 have image stabilization. If I go back to an M camera, I'm not going to have that, but I shot for a long, long time on film cameras locked into, uh, you know, 400 ISO with Portra 400 and, um, you know, just doing photography the way it was meant to be, uh, you know, uh, back in the day. So trying to shoot at 125th or faster, uh, you know, opening up the aperture when I needed to. I think I'd have a little easier time focusing with a slightly wider lens. I think that I would... Um, have a little bit easier time uh, with a camera that has live view so I could actually check focus and check exposure if I needed to fall back on that. But yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. I'm, here I am in Lightroom. I'm looking at all these M10D photos and I'm like, what the hell is the matter with these? Like they're, they're good. They're, they're, I mean, at least in my opinion, I was happy with them. I took some great photos for work, some really sweet photos of my family. The colors are good straight out of camera. What the heck what was I thinking? Um, yeah, they really, they really weren't that bad. So I don't know, maybe this is just my justification, but you know, here I am kind of sitting looking at these very expensive cameras that anybody would be a very, very, very happy to have. And I've talked about them extensively on this uh, podcast and here I am thinking maybe it's time for change, but, um, I've always been somebody where the grass doesn't grow under my feet for too long. So I am not surprised. Um, at any rate, we will see, we will see what happens, but please write me on these topics. I would love to hear from you. Um, 
yeah, I just, uh, I think it's time. I think it's time to make a change. I'm not sure uh, what it, I guess I've just, like this whole podcast was just me talking myself into this. So I hope you enjoyed this. Have you had this conversation? Write me a message on Instagram uh, or leave a, actually even better, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps out the podcast a lot. Um, you know, we've had a lot of downloads now, way over 10,000, approaching 20,000 downloads or something. So there's more and more of you out there listening, uh, which is why I wanted to get back on the horse. But I mean, have you, uh, have you had this conversation with yourself, this justification? I wonder if when we get this much money, when you're, when you're in my economic strata and you're into Leica, the cameras are really expensive. They feel really expensive. They're worth it to me, but they're very expensive. You know, I'm not, I don't have unlimited means, so it's not, I don't collect every M body and put them in a glass case. Like if I have a camera, I'm going to use it. If I have a special edition, like an M camera, I'm going to use it as a daily shooter. It's going to get beat up. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, I take care of stuff, but that's the way it's going to be. It's going to get used. Um, you know, <laughs> but here I am. I've just spent the last 45 minutes talking to you theoretically, but I think actually I was talking to myself. I think for this whole time, I've been talking to myself to uh, talk myself into the idea of uh, trading in my autofocus uh, SL2 and Q2 uh, to go, um, you know, to go uh, back to M10 uh, territory of some kind and uh, give it another go. I'd be okay with that. Even if it doesn't work out, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give it another go. I can't imagine being a, like a guy and going through all these years and just being like, yeah, but I only use the autofocus. Like I want to, I want to shoot with an M. I just do. I love the experience. I absolutely adore the experience. Even if it's not perfect, even if I miss a shot once in a while, um, that's okay. So I don't know if you've had experiences like these, please let me know if you have a shot with a, um, with a Sumicron, uh, 35 millimeter Sumicron, let me know if that's your lens of choice. I'd be interested to hear it. Um, if you, uh, if you use live view, uh, or if you've switched to your non-dominant eye in order to be better with rangefinders, please shoot me a message or for any reason at all, you can find me on Instagram at ZG Brannigan. You can email me zgbrannigan at gmail.com. Uh, I've been blathering on way too long now. So, uh, I'm going to just put this out there just the way I said it, and we're going to see what happens. So this is an experiment in stream of consciousness. This is my, you know, four months of, uh, content backing up in my head. Uh, I am going to get some more episodes out there. I am looking forward to seeing if anybody listens to this episode. I've let it go a long time, but it seems like downloads are continuing and messages are continuing from you. So uh, raise your hand digitally. Follow me on Instagram, please, at ZGBrannigan, uh, or uh, go ahead and uh, send me a message, whatever. Please leave me a, me uh, a review, hopefully a positive one, and uh, stay in touch. I would love to hear from you. And uh, as I mentioned, I'll try to get back to each and every one of you that writes me a message. I won't always be able to do so, but I'll do my best. In order to continue this podcast, I have to put it in the mental space um, where it is not going to stress me out. If it stresses me out, it just has to fall down the list. That's just, I've learned from years of, um, you know, getting to know my own psyche. You know, if I'm struggling with a low moment, um, you know, we've talked about that, or if I'm struggling with being a little overpowered by things going on at work or things going on in my life, like I need to set something like this aside and I need to be able to do that and not feel guilty about it. So I promise you this, I'll continue to make episodes if you guys promise me that you won't get bent out of shape if I'm not as regular uh, or as, as, you know, on the tick um, as a lot of other podcasters are. Is that a deal? I promise you, we can uh, continue to grow this community. We can stay in touch. We can talk about uh, Leica cameras from a new and fresh perspective, I hope. Uh, I'm not here to talk about gear necessarily. Um, I'm here to talk about the, uh, we're, we're here to talk about gear. Let's let's get that out of the way. We are here to talk about gear, but we're here to talk about gear as it relates to our um, our experience as photographers. We're not going to geek out on, you know, the latest finish on the special edition and how much that's going to be down the road and whether or not the, you know, apochromatic uh, correction is worth the five thousand. You know, we've talked about those things a little bit, but that's not really what this is about. This this podcast is about photography. It's about creativity. And honestly, let's be fair. It's about mental health. It's about mental health as a creative. And uh, I think we're going to make that more and more a focus. Uh, a lot of you have reached out to me and talked about your own struggles. Everybody from, uh, you know, my early guests, um, you know, to, to, uh, just the little messages that I've been sent on Instagram and stuff. So, um, yeah. It's lovely. It's lovely to be talking back into this camera again. I'm actually going to be setting up a new podcast space at my uh, office, my work office, believe it or not, not in my house. So uh, in theory, that's going to make it a little bit easier for me to just flick on the switch and start talking. So if I'm, uh, if I'm not going to do a ton of editing and if I'm just going to pipe these things out, uh, hopefully you guys will continue to listen and my nonsense uh, will be, I don't know, <laughs> accepted by all of you. Anyway, that's it. I love you guys. I will, um, I will talk to you soon, okay? I promise I'll be back sometime soon. Stay in touch.
This has been the Like a New Day podcast with Zachary Brannigan. Uh, you can find us online at Z-G-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N. That's at Z-G-Brannigan on Instagram and at ZacharyBrannigan.com. Thanks very much for listening and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Take care.